0: In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. There's a lot going on in today's gospel. There could be hours and hours spent on it. Don't, don't worry, I, I won't take hours and hours. But there's a few important themes for us to look at, and a lot of it centers around what our Lord said to them at the very end, which is, if you were blind, you'd have no sin. But because you say you see... Your sin remains. And what he's saying here is actually a very simple statement, which is saying that if you couldn't see, if you didn't know, when you don't know something, you're not held responsible for that thing. right? If somebody has no idea what the custom is of a certain country, for example, if they don't know that in, in America when we make a deal, for example, we shake hands, right? they won't be held culpable for not putting their hand out to extend in, a, in an agreement if they don't know but if I claim to know something I'm now held responsible for that thing because I now know what I was supposed to do I know what the custom was I know what the rule is whatever it may be and I've chosen not to do it and in this we see in the story of the man born blind is probably one of the most objective characters we read about in in the Bible and that he is somebody who is looking purely at facts, right? He does not sway by anyone because he has nothing to lose. He's not in a position of authority. No one can accuse him of wanting to do anything for gain, right? He can only speak from his experience. And we're going to compare his responses to things versus his parents and the Pharisees. The Pharisees have a claim on the people, right, and the priests, and that they are the ones that are the ruling people, right? And throughout history, we see often everyone is angry with the church when they bring up history. I was listening to a podcast yesterday where everyone talks about how evil the church is and how awful the church is for controlling the people, the French Revolution, their own Catholic church. Anyone who's in power eventually abuses power. That's the state of humanity. Whether it's a secular leader or a religious leader, it's a temptation that can come easily to anybody who is in charge. And so... It's up to every individual person as to whether they want to abuse authority or not, or what their objective is, whether you want to have the truth or not. And in this case, we see that when Christ has come to the earth, the Pharisees and the priests whom he has ordained are abusing the power, um, and they claim, they make claims. They, they claim that they understand the law, they claim that they're the interpreters of the law, and they are the ones who also have been given, a God, given authority over the people in terms of how the temple worship should should function, so arguably they do have something to lose if there's something that they are proclaiming for themselves, right? If somebody is operating under the directive of someone else, then theoretically they do not. We're able to say, "I'm simply being obedient," right? Which is how temple worship was supposed to be, right? That's how church worship is supposed to be, is that all of us are supposed to be obedient to God, and that if we believe that that something comes from Him, then something isn't true because I said it right something is true if god said it and if god didn't say it then we don't proclaim a dogma right we don't proclaim there to be a rule on it but we can have agreed customs this is what there were they had for temple life were some of these customs how to celebrate the sabbath for example god told them you must honor the sabbath and not work on the sabbath but the interpretation of how to live that that was actually <laughs> given to them by the pharisees and by the priests is that they came up with the system as to how to respect the Sabbath. And so they said, okay, you don't do these actions, you don't do these behaviors. And there are other behaviors that they said will allow these because, in their view, they were necessary. And so people grow accustomed to this, and that became the system. That's what what they grow up in. And this is why sometimes when we say ignorance is bliss, is that there's a two-edged sword to that, right? Ignorance is bliss is is seen from a positive and negative in the story, right? And that they're born in the system, right? They don't know anything else. They don't know what God may or may not have had in mind, right? All they know is this is the rules. You wake up, you do this. On Fridays, you do this. On Saturdays, you do this. That's what we do. Um, Don't rock the boat, right? Whereas to the blind man, he had a different kind of ignorance is bliss. He was never part of that system, Right, he was blind. Right, he was led around wherever he went. He had things done to him. Right, he was not somebody who could be a doer. So just like a person could be born in disease and only know disease, right, then his ignorance is bliss is a negative one, right, because all he's known is disease. That's his reality, right. Whereas another person might be born totally well and their whole life is well, and ignorance is bliss for them in a positive way. They've never seen what what illness. Is like, or what difficulty um, is is like, and so you don't know the facts, and so you have this world, two worldviews coming to collide, right? You've got the Pharisees who have their system. You've got our Lord who's coming to them, who they don't realize is the author of creation and the author of the Sabbath, right? And our Lord is coming to do a miracle, and we've talked about throughout Lent that there's different kinds of 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 sin, and there's different kinds of statuses, and we've also talked before about how there are different reasons why wrong occurs, and we always say wrong wrong breeds wrong, right, if you do something wrong, it brings wrong results, so sometimes I'm in a bad state because I chose to do something wrong, right, if I choose, right, to, that, like, a really good idea is for me to hand all of my money um, to the gardener and say, I want you to be the protector of my money, and he runs off with my money, well, that's my own fault, right, I can't, claim that somebody wronged me um, if I made the decision to give somebody the money. Or worse yet, if I light the fire that burns down my house, I can't blame someone for burning down my house, right? Sometimes I am wronged, right? Sometimes somebody actively does a sin to me, right? And that causes me to be harmed, right? If somebody were to stab me in the arm, I might have a weakness or paralysis for the rest of my life. And it's not because I did a wrong, it's because someone did it to me. Right, is that our sin? We have to realize that sin affects community, not just myself. But there are also sometimes where we are a victim of society's sin collectively, maybe not individually, when we all choose to do wrong. So, for example, if we all pollute and global warming results in, in, in whatever it results in, and we end up with more cancers, right? The cancer is a result of sin. Right, There's a result of people's lack of care for the environment, but it wasn't necessarily because of my own individual-specific sin or even my neighbor's, right? But there's a collective thing. And so we see in this person, right, in the man born blind, this third type of scenario, right? Because our Lord says explicitly, no, 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 this is not like the paralytic man, right? Where he says, your sin has been forgiven, don't do it again or it'll get worse. He was telling him, no, no, you did something wrong in this last case. Um, but he's saying, or not like the Samaritan woman, where again where she was doing something. In this case, he's saying, no, neither, neither person did this, right? There wasn't. This wasn't him. It wasn't the parents. So we know even more that this person who's coming now for healing is is even more objective, right? That it's not that he's trying to justify something he did. He just got dealt these circumstances, and so we see that someone who has something to lose. <laughs> is the one who's afraid of the truth, right? A person who only wants truth will fear nothing because they want the truth, because to them the truth is going to be what liberates them from whatever ignorance, disease, whatever it is that they have. For the Pharisees, it was many things that they're afraid to lose, right? It was partially ego, okay, in the sense that they have a control over the people, that the people listen to their interpretations to take them seriously, and so if they were to have their interpretation taken away from them, it would make them questionable as teachers, right? Of saying, well, apparently you got it all wrong, right? So why would I take your word um, for things from here on in? But it was also probably a little bit psychological too, right? In the sense that if this is my world, that this, is, this is what I grew up in, and you're coming in to tell me that everything you think you understood is wrong, that isn't an easy thing to accept either. Right It's not easy to find out that your your whole way of, of looking at life could have been inadequate or could have been incomplete, and because of this, they only had anger towards Christ right Had they wanted the truth, at least it could have been more of a dialogue form right? It could have been, well, why are you saying that? right? like we received this. Why are you saying that? On what authority are you saying it? Sometimes they did ask these questions. But they weren't asking it to know the answer. They were saying it sarcastically to challenge him to say, who do you think you are? Um, Which, had they actually waited for the answer, um, would have been a bit mind-blowing for them, which we see on on Great Friday. And we see even the parents are afraid, right? Is that the parents are looking at this whole situation, right? The people on the streets that they're asking, is this the guy that was born blind? they're they're shaky like well we think so but we're not sure maybe it looks like him right the parents unfortunately are not able to escape this we think we're not sure think is it's their son right and so when they ask them they are petrified of losing their place in the in the sanctuary and losing their place in the temple and the response is yep it's him like that we can tell you okay but we have nothing to do with this right you would think that the parents would be excited right that they that their child right? That's a grown adult now that has never been able to see is now able to see, right? You would think that this would bring them joy because so often we make claims, if God had given me this, I'd be so happy. If God only did this, well, apparently not, right? Because this family is just like we have nothing to do with this. He's old enough to talk for himself. You go talk to him, Please leave us alone. We're happy with where we are. Ignorance is bliss. I go to the temple. I put my coins in. I make my sacrifices. Let me go home in peace. Don't rock my world. right? I don't want to know anything. right? This is not a good kind of, of ignorance. It's an active ignorance um, as opposed to a, a passive one. Whereas we have the man born blind, who because he only wants truth, and because he has no ulterior agenda, and because all he cares about is the reality of the situation, he is one of the most boldest characters of the New Testament. Where he doesn't care who's talking to him, and he wasn't not, and he wasn't disrespectful to start with. He got a little sarcastic near the end, okay, but he began off actually very, very reverently. Where they bring him and ask him, "Are you the one born blind?" And you'd think that, again, this great miracle would be something that brings them joy or or something to be impressed by, and instead they're angry and say, is it true that this happened? Like, yes, it's true. I was born blind. That's all I can tell you. There's a man named Jesus. He did this, and he told me to go wash. I washed. Now I can see. That's all I know, right? Very objective. He didn't give an analysis. He didn't say, you know, you should look into this guy. I think he might be the Messiah. I think he might be blah, 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 or have you ever, he just says the facts and walks away and gets initiated into normal life right? He's immediately sent into the temple, right? And he now joins the status quo that the rest of of the seeing folk um, were doing. But this isn't enough, right, for the Pharisees, because to them, this this is not comprehensible, right? Because there's a real dilemma here, objectively, is that you say that a sinner can't do miracles, that a sinner God doesn't hear. This is their custom. God does not listen to sinners, right? So we have a dilemma. If this man is a sinner, How is it that either on his own authority or by his prayers, a miracle happens? And so they can't accept this. So they bring the guy back, right? And it's like, no, 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 you need to tell us this again. And now he gets sarcastic. Now he's like, what do you want? Right? Like how many times are we going to have a back and forth about what happened? The guy healed me. All right? That's what I told you. If I tell you 10 times, is it going to change the story? Is it going to make you believe in him more? What is it that you want from me? So they get angry. And they say, no, give God the glory, okay, because this man is a sinner, which now they're contradicting themselves even more, because now they're saying this is a divine act, right? They're not claiming that this is an act of sorcery, right, or demon worship, or something that they could have used to say, no, 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 this is something um, demonic, which would have been an easier excuse for them um, to go by. They're acknowledging that it's from God. And that's why he gets even more sarcastic and says, well, now, here's a real miracle. Here's a real wonder. How is it that you're saying... That this is an act of God, if you're also saying this man is a sinner. Your teachings, men who are sinners, God doesn't listen to, and yet here's a man who healed me, and this kind of miracle has never been heard of since the foundation of the world. You explain it. Right? He's completely objective, right? And he still doesn't even know who Christ is. Right? He's just going by the teachings. He's like, if this is the objective teaching, here's the objective dilemma. You figure out what it is that you're trying to say. And so, our Lord loves this, right? Because our Lord is seeing that this guy who received a miracle, right, who has had something done to him, is testifying and is even suffering. Because the response of the Pharisees is, you know what? We're sons of Moses, okay? We have authority you're not, you're a sinner, if you want to follow this guy, go ahead and follow that guy, you're not allowed in the temple, and they excommunicate him. And our Lord looks for those who suffers, right? Because we see that the wording here is um, Jesus heard that they had thrown him out, and finding him said, do you believe in the Son of God? Right, Our Lord actively went out and said, bring me this guy. Right, Look at the guy from last week, the, the paralytic. For him, he was, uh, let me wash my hands of Jesus. I don't know him. Right? When they told him, who is the one that heals you? He's like some guy named Jesus. And then like is, is, is trying to get our Lord in trouble. He goes back, because he did, cause originally didn't know, and he goes back and says, oh, by the way, it turns out it was that guy. You can go find him. Right? He's not thankful for the miracle. He is not ready to deal with any kind of tribulation. Whereas the man born blind... He's just like, Whatever. Like I just know the facts. This is what happened to me. And so our Lord seeks him out and says to him, Do you believe in the Son of God? And his response is, Okay, who who is he? Right. So he he didn't even know like that it was Christ. Right? But because he wants truth, right, he's saying, My only experience of truth so far has been through this person in front of me. Right? This is the only credible source of truth I've ever met in my life and the result of suffering the result of this pursuit of truth is that god does reveal the truth right christ hadn't spoken this boldly even to the disciples right and his response to the man born blind is you've seen him it's me who's speaking with you i am the son of god right this is a sinner who's gone from like blindness right to a declaration of god's divinity within 24 hours maybe a couple of days Okay, this is how our Lord interacts with those who want the truth. This is why he asks us seek truth, right? Look for the truth and you'll be you'll be liberated. And this healing, this encounter with God, this seeking of truth, this is what many of us don't understand is the source of our liberation, right? Is that knowing something frees me from it and sometimes not in the ways that I expect. Right? Sometimes we think that real freedom is to do whatever I want. And that sounds like a, like a lucrative kind of freedom. But the problem is that we are made of material, right? So I can't actually do whatever I want. The problem is that I'm designed, so I actually can't do whatever I want. And it's not because of, of, of someone's obsessive control over me, but by the nature of who I am, by the nature of my identity, right? This is why I can't just do whatever I want. And so if I harm myself, I get sick, right? So imagine the ignorance is bliss concept if somebody, for example, has no idea that they have uh, a minor allergy to a food, okay? And it's not one where they, where they die on the spot. And so they keep eating from that food over and over and over and over again because they don't know. And they're congested and they're lethargic and they're tired and they're fatigued and they can't function the way that they want to function. If they're given a simple truth, you're allergic to this. Their whole world changes. right? They become liberated. right? So it was the liberation that I can eat whatever I want? No, it was to find out that there are foods when I eat, I get hurt. And that now that I have this piece of truth, I'm freed from the suffering that I was in. Right? This is the kind of liberation that comes through knowledge of the truth that not everybody wants. Right? Not everybody wants that kind of liberation. Many people would rather their system be the system, and that can be any extreme. It can be the extreme of the Pharisees, of wanting to be closed off and have specific rules. And it cannot be the extreme of hedonism. Right, It can be in any kind of, of, of form within the world. But if I want the truth, then I've got to look for it. And it's in the challenging of my reality that I find out whether I want The truth, or not, because the challenge of faith is what can result for me in either my growth or my fall, right? Whether I want to combat when somebody contradicts what I know, is it something that I accept happily or not? The freedom in this rises above even even the laws that Christ, that God Himself had put, right? We see something in the book of Romans, that you can understand through this parable better, where St. Paul talks about being bound in the law, right? And he says that, that God established the law for humanity, and he said the law was a horrible thing, which sounds like a horrible thing for him to say, because God made it, right? But he was saying, how could it be horrible? Was like, because without the law, you didn't know sin, right? This, the law condemned you, right? You didn't know what was right or wrong without the law. Right? So you were just ignorance is bliss, you're doing whatever you wanted. But when somebody put a law, now you found out you're wrong, right? And now there's a label for it, and now you fail, right? You weren't failing anything because there was no standard. right? It was a matter of everybody just doing whatever they wanted. But now you put this in. So, so now we have a problem. You have the straight line. You have a ruler, okay? You guys were all curved lines. Everybody was doing their own thing. so there was no, there was no law. there was no sin. Now there's a straight line. Now you can define a curve. So now you have an issue, right? Because now you have become a sinner. You weren't a sinner before the law. You were a sinner when the law came because you found out what sin was. So he's saying, so is that a horrible thing? No, it's not. Because without it, you wouldn't have known, right? But now you know. And somehow he goes from there to say, but we become liberated from that law, right? Does that mean that the law was wrong? No, it wasn't. It was because the law teaches me perfection, it teaches me what the goal is, it teaches me what the objective is, right? And so I learned the spirit of the law. But unless I live like the Pharisee first, I don't learn the law. I don't learn how to apply the law. So what does that mean practically? It'll be like in the monastic stories, for example, where you have a monk who doesn't eat till 5 or 6 p.m. every day or could go for three days without eating, and then a visitor comes and says, knocking on the door, saying, I want to sit with you. If the monk doesn't eat with him, right, then to preserve his asceticism, then he's keeping the law, his monastic law, his ascetic law. right. But to break bread with him is to go to the higher law of love. Why? Because what is the objective of everything is love. If I don't have the higher objective of love, if I don't understand what it was for, then I don't know how to practice these laws that come underneath. Is this monk's fasting wrong? No, it is not. Is it is wrong for him to abstain from food? No, it is not. But is it wrong for him to refrain from breaking bread with his brother who wants to have a meal? Yes, it is. Right, Because now he is going against the gospel, which says that if your brother has need or has want, either wants you to listen to him or to feed him or to clothe him, then you do it. That is the higher law. And so this is why the Pharisees had a problem here. They had not been liberated from the law, which is what Christ was coming to do. So their view of Christ's work on the Sabbath was, you broke the law, right? You did a healing on the Sabbath. How could anybody who loves God heal on the Sabbath? Don't you know that we're Jews and we respect the Sabbath? This is where they're coming from, right? Is that they were still under jurisdiction of the law, not understanding, as Christ would say to them elsewhere, the Sabbath is made for man, right? Not man for the Sabbath, right? I made the Sabbath for you to rest. I didn't make the Sabbath as a rule and then make men to honor this rule of, of not doing stuff on Saturdays, right? It's understanding the spirit of the law. And so this concept is what Christ is doing, is liberating us, that this liberation for us is is a spiritual one, it's a physical one, it's an intellectual one, it's to come back to the roots of it and say, I have made you that you may be whole, right? I've made you that you may be free. And what what does that mean? It means to be me, right? Which is the theme that we're going to come to in Holy Week next week, God willing. And so finally, God wants us to be healed. God wants us to be restored, right? This is His desire, right? He came here not because he wants to judge everybody to death, but because he wanted to bring life, right? He came and restored everybody and looked for those who seek him. And so, as this is our last week of Lent, we conclude on Friday, period of repentance, reflect what are the things that you are a prisoner to that you might not want to deal with, right? What are the things that are preventing you from living holy, W-H-O-L-L-Y, right? And what are the things that are preventing you from living holy with an H, What are the things that are your stumbling blocks to what you don't want to receive, right? Whether it's because you don't want to be cast out of the temple or whether it's because you want to eat the food that makes you sick, right? Or whether it's because you don't want to have your teaching rocked. Ask yourself, do I want the truth more than anything else? Because if I do, then I have nothing to fear and Christ himself will be the one to reveal himself to me and to all of us, and grant us the spiritual vision that leads to liberation. To him be the glory, honor, and worship now and always in the age of all ages Amen. We want to thank you so much for listening to St. Basil's podcast. We hope that you have gained spiritually from our remarkable speakers, and we appreciate your support towards this podcast. St. Basil American Coptic Orthodox Church is looking to purchase a home, and we would love for you to be a part of our community. We are looking to raise funds towards this novel mission, Orthodoxy in an American context within the San Diego area. You may donate online through our website, www.stbasil.net, that's www.stbasil.net, or click on the link below and it will take you to our donations page. You may also mail in your contribution at the address located on our website. We thank you for any contribution, and may our Lord Jesus Christ always bless your heart, and home.